Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. On a long list of women to admire, the classy, ambitious, and courageous Tiffany Soper is near the top. The well-respected veteran publicist began her career working for other PR professionals before landing at Hawksworth Communications, then becoming a partner at Avenue PR. She now has her own agency, Nine Point, with a clientele focused on lifestyle, cannabis, and well-being. She was born and raised on the North Shore, the second eldest daughter of four children, whose parents had been world-class competitive figure skaters. Her home environment growing up was an unpredictable one, as her mother battled alcoholism. Tiffany left home at 18 years old to spend time in Australia and Japan, coming back to go to Cap College and then Royal Roads in Victoria. She eventually found herself in PR after observing the publicist at the restaurant she worked at and began steadily building a career and name for herself. More recently, she became a mother to a beautiful daughter, deciding a few years ago to have a baby on her own. In this conversation, we dive deep into her parents' love story and the ups and downs of her childhood, her chapter abroad after high school and what she learned most about herself in that time, the qualities she and her team look for when vetting potential PR clients, her profound healing journey with ayahuasca over the last few years, the decision to become a single mother by choice and what it's brought to her life and more. Please enjoy this intimate conversation with the bright, passionate, and inspirational Tiffany Soper. Tiffany Soper. Hello. Welcome to The Craft. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. You and I have been longtime friends. We have. I think we've been friends for 10 years or more, do you think? Well, was when we did we meet? Like 2006, 2007? Was 2000 that long ago? Yeah, 2007 was when I moved back here from L.A. Okay. So probably like in probably 2008, nine. Okay. So a little wow. later after you moved back, but still early yeah. days in our careers. Yeah. Cause I had just started working in PR and you yes. were, and I was writing, writing for like sweetspot.ca. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you started working with the West Ender yes. and all the social columns. We started working together Yeah, and then became friends. Yeah. It was one of those things that it was sort of acquaintances at events and then right. eventually like a full blown friendship and we've had quite a few adventures together <laughs> yes we have so yes. many fun adventures so many we've come so far too if you look back to when yeah. we first met to where we are I know. today it's pretty incredible yes it really is well I want to go back to little Tiffany and growing up sure you grew up on the North Shore it did yeah grew up in North Vancouver it was an amazing area to grow up in um you know, big family. There's four kids in my family, so I have three amazing siblings. We lived in a, like, beautiful suburban area. Um, yeah, North Shore girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you were telling me a while ago that your parents were competitive figure skaters, which was new news yes. to me. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about that. Pretty amazing. They had a, a pretty exciting career. It's how they met and fell in love when they were teenagers. They were both 
training um, to become figure skaters, and they got partnered up as ice dance champions. I think when they were 16, they were really young, and it was just magic. Like, they were perfect pairs, um, and they had a pretty amazing career. They were Canadian ice dance champions back in the 70s. So I think it was, like, 71 to 74 mm-hmm. they held the gold title, and then they competed on the world stage, um, and they placed seventh in the world um, competition and ice dance wasn't in the Olympics yet, so they didn't get the chance to go to the Olympics. Mm. But they toured around the world with the Canadian professional ice wow. dance team, um, figure skating team, and you know got to do some professional shows and things like that. And then my dad coached figure skating for another twenty mm. years, helping other couples oh. that wanted to go into ice dance, which is that you know the beautiful pairs where they are basically doing like incredible dancing mm-hmm. on ice. So. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty well, amazing. Well, you know, I I've seen um a couple of like documentaries around ice skating and it is a sport. Like it is not easy. So, it's yes. pretty incredible that your parents were world class at they it. They were. Yeah, they yeah. worked really hard. They mm-hmm. were totally dedicated and they took a full year off to train and like there was somebody that sponsored them for that year so that they could have that time to fully train together and you have to do everything from obviously skating but also dancing Mm -hmm. so they would do ballroom dancing and ballet and um, disco and then they used to like enter and win disco competitions because my dad (laughs) would lift my mom way up in the air and they would do all these like incredible things that people were like what is this where is this from and it was from their skating Mm. so they did they worked very very hard so is is that where they met like skating and then they fell in love yes it's how they met and fell in love so Mm. they met when they were really young teenagers my dad was in love with my mom my mom had a boyfriend um and my dad actually like saw my mom at the rink because he was a hockey player and he would see her skating and my mom was a total bombshell like just Mm -hmm. gorgeous and he quit hockey to start skating so he could meet her and then it took him like five years until she finally got rid of the boyfriend agreed to go on a date and then they became you know life partners they got married they were skating together and then as soon as they retired they started their family wow mm-hmm. oh but that is a love story it's a love story it is and you know what they're still together um they're we still st- devoted totally devoted and very much in love it's mm. quite cute and sweet that's really really sweet yeah mm. and so what were they like individually so my mom um very sweet shy, reserved, super smart, very selfless, um, very loving and caring um, and nurturing. And my dad is um, also very loving and supportive. Um, He's a lot more outgoing. Like he always, you know, is the one to be like chatty and my mom just kind of sits there and smiles. Like they're, they're quite different, but they complement each other really well so he's a lot more yeah, more going more social more gregarious um very different people mm-hmm. and what were you like as a kid yeah I was super shy yeah very shy very sensitive um hyper aware of my surroundings almost like too aware that it was like can always be in the moment like I was a little bit fearful I had sometimes a hard time making friends I was mm. um very nerdy like I literally was like the ugly like duckling like so I went through a stage where I was like so hideous like I had 
braces and glasses and like the worst haircut. And I was like, really? Like, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just remember being super shy, quiet. Yeah. Reserved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it like for your parents to transition from what they did into normal family life? Did you observe as a child if it was something that was hard for them or easy for them? Or was that even a factor at, at all? I think it was challenging because they were so successful at skating and they were like stars. Like everyone in North Van knew them. They had this incredible, you know, career in sport. And then it was like abruptly over. And then it's like, you know, they started having kids and it's like, now what? Mm. Um, so my mom actually started working as a dental hygienist and she did that for 30 years, mm-hmm. 35 years before she retired. My, her dad was a dentist. Mm. So that was just kind of natural and easy and something she could do part time with flexibility with four kids at home, all two years apart. She was busy. My dad um, struggled finding like his groove and what he wanted to do and tried a whole bunch of different things. He coached skating forever and that was something he always did part-time but Mm -hmm. you know he was a teacher for a while and then he was in real estate and then the real estate market crashed and that was a disaster and then he you know tried a few different things and then eventually started working in finance and became a financial advisor and that's what he stuck with right the the end of his career but it's too bad that he didn't figure that out early days because we did have a lot of financial hardship in the family Mm -hmm. um because for various reasons, but that being one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your brothers and your sisters, you're quite close to them. I am very close, mm. yes. I have an older sister, two younger brothers. Um, we're all two years apart. And they're just incredible humans, like amazing individuals. Um, Amy's the oldest, and then there's me, I'm the second oldest, and then Sean, and then Jay is the baby. Mm, he's the baby. Yeah. Mm. And um, tell me about what you were like as you transitioned from being a kid and then going into your teenage years, then what were you like? Yeah, as I grew into my teens, um, my wild side came out (laughs) for sure. And I found myself in this like friend group. Like it was kind of like the cool, like badass friend group. Like, you know, we were hanging out at the smoke pit and we were like partying and I was hanging out with people that were older than me. And I had this older sister that was kind of cool. And so you know, it kind of like led me into this certain peer group of like older, an older group. Um, went through a wild stage. Like we had a bit of a rough childhood and it started to come out. Like I started to see the effects of that in my teens. I started to kind of mm. act out and, you know, I went through a few challenging periods, um, mm. you know, where I suffered from a little bit of depression and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but I was like always adventurous and I think like all of us turned out really well because we had a lot of love in, in the home. My parents mm. aren't perfect and weren't perfect. They did their best. They had their own individual challenges. Like my dad always struggled with career and and was a workaholic and was never there. So he was like absent most of the time. And then my mom um, is an alcoholic and so struggled with that her whole life. And that really affected us. So I think with the kids, it was like we were kind of just left to our own devices and we were pretty wild and we didn't have a lot of discipline. And so mm-hmm. as Amy and I, like two teenage daughters, started to get to that stage where you're like, oh, let's push the boundaries and see what I can get away with. It got a little crazy. Yeah, it's like, what is what you did? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, let's go for it. Yeah. 
Did you did you feel as a child that you had to grow up really quick in the environment that you did? And yeah, yeah, definitely. And then sort of like in your older years, you're like, "Fuck it." Yeah, <laughs> like I I don't want to be that anymore. I just want to do my thing, do whatever I want. Do what and you I want. was rebelling because mm. I was angry. Yeah, mm. and I think that's why I was so shy and like reserved as a child is because I didn't really feel safe or secure in the home like it was always really chaotic you never really knew what was going to happen day by day you didn't know if your needs were going to get met you didn't know what was happening and it was for me being a super hypersensitive little girl I couldn't really thrive Mm. in that environment and I learned I couldn't trust people and I had a lot of pain that carried through to my teens and then it started to come out Mm. (laughs) and not the best ways yeah it's yeah yeah I I resonate so much from with what you said too coming from you know a really anxiety ridden childhood as well that you as a young child you don't really realize it then obviously but you become very hyper vigilant don't you Mm -hmm. in those kinds of environments you're sort of like you're always watching what your parents are doing what mood are they in like how do you have to be in response to that? And that hypervigilance, yeah, can manifest in other ways in your life as you grow older in ways that may not serve you and in some ways that it may. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you can't really be a kid, right? You can't just be, like, happy and carefree and be, like, just have fun and play. It's like you mm-hmm. do – like you said, you have to grow up and, like, learn to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Early. Early. Mm-hmm. And you left the home at 18, Right, to go to Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as I graduated high school, I'd saved up. I'd always worked, so I'd like worked since I was young because, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money. We grew up in North Vancouver. All my friends were from North Van, West Van. Everyone had like brand new cars and fancy clothes and all the stuff that we didn't have, and that was like super apparent and evident to me. So I started working as soon as I could. I don't know if I was eight or ten when I had a paper route. And I started working this little hair salon when I was like, I don't know, 14 years old. And I started saving money so I could go travel because I was like, I need to get out of here. Like, I just want to mm. go. I want to go far, far away. Um, and so I went away to Australia for a year. Um, flew over to Japan for a little while, back to Australia, traveled around for a year and a half after mm-hmm. high school. And then I just never moved back home. I just stayed yeah. out of my own independent. Yeah. Mm, what was that like for you? What did you get? most out out of that chapter abroad I really needed that I just needed to get out of my little bubble and be exposed to the greater world and um I needed an adventure I was like really craving adventure just to see I think what the possibilities were in life and you know I think we picked the perfect place because I traveled around Australia with a girlfriend it's just so beautiful and magical and wild it was like all the bizarre animals and insects and like beautiful beaches and like so many different types of experiences you can have there I feel like I grew up so much like I I feel like I was quite sheltered in North Vancouver um and I really needed just to go and you know travel and work and figure out all the things and make all the silly mistakes you make while traveling and meet new people because I'd always been around the same group of friends Mm. and so I learned how to connect and meet with new people just randomly you know Mm. um and that was really amazing and I learned that wow like I'm a hard worker and like I am resourceful like you know me and my girlfriend we had worked in restaurants before going there and a lot of the other backpackers you could say 
were like picking fruit and stuff to like make a living. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> not doing that. Definitely not doing that. They're like, oh, there's this bus that we're taking. We're just going to take it up the coast. I was like, yeah, no, not doing that either. Like, <laughs> So we bought this little beater of a car, like an old like 1980 Honda. And we're like, let's go find a job somewhere in hospitality because that's going to be fun. Like that's going to be where the mm-hmm. fun people are. And walked into a bar and like, hey, we're looking for work. And this is our resume. And, you know, found jobs that way and I think had a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. And then Australians people. love to party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, they have a good time. They have the best time. I've yeah. never seen anything like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was Japan like for you? Because that is very different from Australia or the North Shore. Yes. Japan was incredible. It was, I think, such a different experience. I don't know if I was ready for Japan. I was still really young and I hadn't really gotten the travel thing down, like how to do your research, learn about the culture, you know, all those things. It was culture shock. And I really stood out. Like there weren't right a lot of tall, blonde, blue-eyed women there. And I, so it was overwhelming for me. We were in Tokyo staying with friends and just traveling around and hanging out. And our plan was to go back to Australia and just spend a bit of time there. And just, you know, we we had worked really hard in Australia and saved some money. And we didn't really do a lot. Like we didn't really travel around Japan a lot. I wish we had, but we were young and immature and we didn't really know any better. We're like, let's just hang out in Tokyo and go to restaurants and go dancing. And, you know, as you do when you're that age. For sure. So it was just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a culture shock for sure. And I did all the wrong things. Like I offended pretty much everybody <laughs> in Tokyo from eating on the street to doing all the things you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and there was no signage. Like I think back in the day, like there was no, there were no English signs. No, there was no English signs. We got lost pretty much every day. We we had taxis that would like, we'd try to wave down a taxi and they'd be like, yeah, no. And just like, you know, wave at you like this and drive mm. off. Like they wouldn't pick us up because they didn't know how to deal with English speaking, you know, tourists. Um, so we learned a lot about yeah. how not to travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you go back? Like, would I would you... love to go back. Yeah. yeah I'd love it, to go back. It really is so incredible there. Yeah. yeah. It would be a different experience now. Yeah. Like, we had some great times because we had friends that were there. So they took us to some cool restaurants. We experienced all the amazing different neighborhoods. I was blown away by just, you know, the streetwear and the fashion and just the, the, the food, scale, right? The, the scale of the city. The scale of it, the number of people that would be crossing the street. Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. I love Japan. Yeah. Bucket list. Mm-hmm. Like a re-trip to Japan. Yes. I mean, I'd go. If, if you Let's ever go. go in the future, I would totally, <laughs> hands down, go. I'm into it. Okay. So then you came back to Canada, and this is when you went to school. So CAP first, mm-hmm. and then Royal Roads in Victoria. Yes. Yeah. I did a business administration diploma at Cap College, and I knew I wanted to study business, but I wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go. Learned about this amazing program at Royal Roads in Victoria. Thought it would be cool to live in another city, just get away for university so that I could put my head down and focus. Um, So that was nice. I loved the program. It was like I did a Bachelor of Commerce in entrepreneurial management, and then I specialized in marketing which is the field I ended up working in and made some amazing friends, lifelong friends while I was there, had a blast. Um, Victoria was a little small to stay in, but I I had a great time when I was there studying. And as soon as I finished the program, I moved back to Van. Yeah, back to the city. What what drew you to 
PR? Well, I was working in a really cool restaurant at the time because I finished school and I was trying to figure out what was next. And the restaurant had a publicist and she would come in for dinner and host journalists. And I remember serving her and taking really good care of them and just like observing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest job. Like she gets to come in. She's being paid to sit down and have dinner. We're giving like rolling out the red carpet for her because she's with you know, a journalist that's going to write about the restaurant. She would throw these really cool parties. And I was like, that is the perfect job for me. Like, mm-hmm. that is what I want to do. I know food and wine. I've been working in hospitality. I have a degree. I love marketing. Like, that's what I want to do. Mm. So that's how I figured it out. And I ended up convincing her to hire me as her assistant because she was like a one-woman shop at the time and worked for all the top restaurants in the city. Um, and that's where I got my start. So I worked for her for about two and a half years yep. and um, did some incredible projects with a lot of the top restaurants, got to go to amazing dinners and wine tastings and met all the top chefs. Like it was really cool and exciting because I was yeah. so young and I was like, oh my God, this is like amazing. That's true. When I first met you, you were more in the restaurant mm-hmm. PR yeah. like area of yeah. Yeah, the business. And then so so after that, you eventually ended up at Hawksworth mm-hmm. um, for a long time, which is, I think, where I really did meet, meet you and get to know you even more deeply. Yes. Um, and then you went and you, you partnered with someone else with uh, to, to do Avenue PR yes. for a little bit. But now you have your own agency, I Nine do. Point. Yeah. Yeah. And your clientele is mostly focused in lifestyle and cannabis and overall well-being, right? Exactly. Yeah. How does yeah. that feel to have your own agency? Amazing. Mm. Yeah. Especially looking back over the years from starting working with restaurants, you know, then I did start a little consultancy of my own and worked from home and that was really hard and kind of started to dabble in the lifestyle space and then, yeah, learned a lot from Annabelle and then with Avenue, you know, we kind of had a travel tourism division and a lifestyle division, but to now have nine point and have it be like my full vision along with, you know, my amazing team, Melania and Mm -hmm. the core team that works for me now, uh, we just rebranded a few years ago. And I feel like it's like finally exactly Mm -hmm. what I want to be doing from the agency perspective. And it's cool to be able to like see trends ahead of time and and work in exciting new industries like cannabis has been so much fun yeah we were early adapters in the space started you know the cannabis division six months before federal legalization and when we were one of the first agencies to specialize in cannabis and have a team of experts that actually you know knew a lot about the science behind the plant as well as the regulatory environment and it's opened so many doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've really found like a great um, groove with the types of lifestyle clients that we're working with. And then we can also handpick a number of different charities and community organizations that we want to support. Um, yeah, this is all yeah. you and your vision. Yes. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. And you have a global team too. You have a, a colleague that's in New Zealand. We do. Yeah. Our team is global. Yeah, I mean, with COVID, it's so interesting because we just shifted to remote work. We still have our office, but it just changed how we thought about hiring and recruiting new people because mm-hmm. before we would have never imagined hiring somebody that wasn't here. Yeah. Um, so immediately that would have been a no-go, but because we were all working remote, 
we have this incredibly talented person that happens to be in New Zealand. And we're like, well, we don't want to lose her because of that. We're all doing everything on our computers from home. Let's like make this work. And and yeah, that's been great. And we have, you know, a senior team member that lives in the Okanagan and another senior team member on the island. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the core team here in Van. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I remember when the pandemic happened and it was, I remember that was really a a tough moment for you, but see it all I'll turn around and where you guys are at now. I'm curious to know, um, to you, when you're when you're working with clients who are looking to work with a client, to you, what constitutes a good client? Like, do you guys have a vetting process that you have and allows you to say no to the ones that don't align with you? Definitely. We do have a vetting process. Um, it took us a while to get there and to learn. It Sometimes it's hard to say no because it's like, this is a business. We should be taking on work. But there's a few different factors that are really important. So we, we have a new client intake form that we ask new clients to complete. And we ask a series of questions that really help us understand who they are, what are their core values, what are the goals, um, you know, other like basic things like timeline and budget, et cetera, but also like, do you have a, an impact? Do you have, do you give back to charity? Um, what makes you, what sets you apart from other competitors in the space? Um, so we look at all of those things, but we also look at what is the story that they're trying to tell? What's the company, the product? Is it really quality? Is it unique? Is there something special here that's different? Because we only want to work with projects that we know we'll be successful at. Mm. You know, if someone's hiring us, we don't want to just be like, yeah, sure, we'll help you take your money and maybe not succeed. Because with PR, it's so challenging. We can't guarantee results every time. Mm. So we're not paying to play necessarily. Like they're paying us to help secure media exposure. So we have to be 100% sure if we're taking on a project that, you know what, this is a great story. This is how we're going to pitch it. I know exactly what to do with this. And those are the types of projects we want to take on. We also look at the people are these people that we know we're going to work well with? Do they understand? Is it a drive and a, like a good fit for our team? And is, is there also team members that are knowledgeable and passionate about mm. this space? Like there's so many factors that come to play um, yeah. that we need to look at before we move ahead. Oh, I love that last part because you also want your team to be fulfilled by their work. And for sure. so, you know. It's so important. It makes all the difference. Like mm. if the team is stoked – they're like, oh, my God, I'm so excited about working on this project. and Because really, we're pitching and selling yeah. on their behalf. So if it's not something we actually are, you know, can stand behind or believe or get, like we, we haven't really worked with a lot of tech companies because it just, for any, it, the core team, we don't really have anyone that has a passion or mm. exact experience in it. But fashion, beauty, cannabis, food and beverage, like, you know, there's so many innovative companies in those spaces that have kind of become our niche. Yeah, yeah. What do you appreciate most about your team right now? Oh, my God. The team is so amazing right now. They're just incredible. I appreciate them supporting me right now where I'm at in my life. I'm on sort of semi-mat leave at the moment, and they are just like, we've got you. Like, mm. you do you. This is an important time for you. So, um, and I've never had – like such a strong senior team before. Mm. 
So that's something I'm extremely grateful right now. So um, Melania De La Cruz is the vice president of the agency, and she's phenomenal. And I think it's coming up on three years now that we've been working together. And three? Wow. Yes. Okay. Time and flies. I know. Um, and she's just amazing, and she's just killing it right now. And you know, we've Adrian, our senior director, and Carrie. So we have such a solid senior team, and then. The juniors are just like so stoked and excited to be learning and they're such strong mentors that and everyone's just excited about the work that we're doing. Mm. So I appreciate them in so many ways. They're working so hard all the time. Like it's agency work, right? It's a hustle. Yeah. But I feel like they are happy to be there and they're enjoying it. So yeah, yeah we're in a good place. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of synergy there, For sure. which, is, which is perfect. Um, I want to go back a little bit, or actually not back, um, perhaps a couple of, of years, but you've also been on a really deep healing journey. And I remember the first time that you told me that you did a medicine ceremony, um, which I believe was ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. You also talked about how life-changing it was for you. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share um, one of the insights that you had from that very first ceremony. Absolutely. So I realized, I think it was back in 2013, I was like, wow, I'm kind of broken. <laughs> I'd been through a pretty traumatic breakup. I had left the previous agency I was working at. I had moved. Um, and I was in a really like vulnerable, tough space. And I started on this healing journey, like you said, and started working on like health and wellness and supplements and started trying all these different healers. And you've recommended some of the best to me, you know, intuitives and Reiki healing and ETO therapy. I think I've tried literally everything and everything's been amazing. All of those experiences have been so positive and I've done talk therapy over the years. And as a result of childhood trauma, um, I realized that I'd been living with pretty crippling anxiety and suffered from insomnia. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I got to this certain stage um, where my body was just starting to shut down and actually was hospitalized for a week. And I was just unhealthy. It was starting to manifest through my body and my health. And I was like, okay, I have to do something. And I'd heard a lot about ayahuasca over the years through friends that had experienced it and were telling me about it and said, you know, it's something to think about. And I was always terrified. I was like, that sounds so extreme. Like, I'm scared. And I think for me, it was just I came to this place where I was like, oh, it's something just clicked one day. And I was like, I'm ready. I'd done all this other work. I'd seen all these different healers. I'd done the talk therapy. I'd been working on health and wellness and all these other aspects and meditation and breath work and all of this preparation. I was like, one day I was like, I'm so ready. And I think that's what's next. And I feel like that's going to really, you know, get me to that next stage of this journey, which is healing, but also spirituality for me. And so I found this incredible group. I had my first experience and wow, like I was blown away. I did two ceremonies back to back over a weekend and then a breath work um, integration on the third day. And it was so profound. Like it took a little while um, to integrate and to kind of sink in. But I feel like it was 10 years of therapy crammed into like, you know, a weekend because the change was so transformative for me like mm -hmm. something shifted like mm -hmm. it's like my eyes were awake like I was like 
so much more aware and conscious. I felt more peaceful. Like, I feel like I got to process so much through those experiences. And it's kind of like I needed something that was physical and somatic and somatic mm-hmm. as well, you know, and I just responded really, really well. And I remember my sister like coming and spending some time with me and she's like, wow, you're like way more chill. Mm. <laughs> like you're really different in yeah. a good way. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Because I used to be quite a stress case, like mm. pretty high, high strung. Mm. Um, so I felt way more chill and relaxed about stuff. I wouldn't get as like wound up or as like irritated or stressed about situations. I was able to process. I feel like I'm still processing things yeah. mm. from the ceremonies that I've done. Like mm-hmm. pretty profound, deep work. I, it's not for everybody. But yeah, no, I, I totally, totally get it. Um, having just done my yes. first big one, my first five MEO psychedelic ceremony. So amazing. Yeah, you and I definitely need to, to catch up on, on all of those those details. Deep on that. I want to hear all about it. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do understand what you mean by the clarity mm-hmm. and the peace, just the peace that you feel. And I guess I never really understood that I was operating with kind of this low level anxiety almost mm-hmm. day to day um and it's it's gone is it really it's gone oh yeah God. I wake up and I'm like oh I feel different every day that I wake up and I was like oh there was a layer of something that I didn't realize was there and probably kind of controlling like oh, my yeah. day for sure and I can only imagine how many people live like that like I lived like that my whole life since I was a kid I was anxious mm-hmm. and I thought everybody just lived that way and that's just how you were you were just stressed out every day yeah it's like oh no there's like a way better way to live yes. you don't have to be stressed out all the time and 100% yeah and it was just on this deeper level of healing and then just tapping into that consciousness for me and feeling more connected and not so alone in the world yes and just kind of wrapped in this divine unconditional love that's very very hard to put into words what that feels like mm-hmm. unless you experience it almost yeah yeah I was able to process so much from yes. childhood mm-hmm. pent-up trauma stuff I'd held on to in the body yeah got to just disappear as right all of that yeah and I feel like it's you know I still have work to do and yeah like it's a journey and we all can always improve and work on that more and more but I'm so happy that I had found that at the time. It was really what I needed, and it was scary, Um, you know, thinking about going in. But I've had five ceremonies now, and it's been completely transformative, and I'm so grateful and Mm. really excited about, like, psychedelics in general and what they can do to help people. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I I feel more and more sort of pulled to learn more Mm -hmm. about that that industry um, now having had my own experience and I mean I was dabbling before a little bit too Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I feel like this this work that you did all this deep ceremony work really prepared you for the next chapter of your life which um, which was becoming a mother yes yes and you just uh, you had I'm gonna say just but Baby Birdie. Yeah, Birdie is six yes. months old now. Six months, yes. Mm-hmm. And she is just a sweet, sweet child. I know. Wasn't she amazing? Yeah, she is really a sweet child. I feel so connected with her. Every time I see her, I'm like, yes. You're one of the children that I feel very connected to. I love that. Yeah, yeah. she's pretty special. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was a special journey for you because you decided to 
do this on your own? I did, yes. I am mm. a single mother by choice. Um, something I'd thought about for years, uh, you know, for probably four years before I finally made the decision to move forward with having the baby. Um, always wanted to be a mother, always wanted to have kids, just never found myself in the right moment or with the right partner at the right time. I think, you know, there's never a good time to have kids. But for me, I was on this journey. I was working on my career. I wasn't, you know, I had a lot of healing to do till I was going to be ready. And then it was like, I blinked and I was in my forties and I was like, Oh no, I forgot to have kids and talk like time is like of the essence at the stage being a woman, you don't have forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really fascinated with fertility and like all of the options that women have now. And, you know, I think it's really cool that women are deciding to have babies later in life and that we have options and like there's all of these um, processes available through fertility that mm-hmm. we didn't have before. So it was like yeah. this pressure to find a partner, get married, have kids, you know, in your 20s and 30s when you maybe weren't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of cool and empowering to be able to just say, like, I'm ready. Yeah. And I'm going to do this. And having a baby and I made it happen and I did it on my own. And I think for me, this is my journey and this is how it was supposed to be. And I'm so blessed because everything was aligned. Like once I decided that I was going to do it, everything just lined up and it happened so quickly, which I'm really grateful for because I know there's a lot of women out there that are, you know, and families struggling with fertility and trying to get pregnant. So even though I have an unconventional situation, I didn't have the right partner, Mm. you know, I got pregnant right away. I was healthy, healthy pregnancy. The baby's healthy. She's just perfect and yeah. so amazing and, and family and friends support like you have that yes. community around you and I do yeah yeah I yeah. have a lot of support and mm-hmm. it's like I didn't even know that SMC was a thing a single mother by choice mm. um but I had all of these women reach out to me to ask questions go for coffees phone calls like because they want to do the same thing and they've been scared to make that decision and mm. make it happen and so um it's pretty what? cool to see what wise words do you give them when they reach out to you? Say, if this is what you want, you can do it. Mm. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, so many of us have grown up with a conventional notion of, like, this is how you should raise a child, like, with mm-hmm. a mother and a father and this and that. But it doesn't have to be if you have the resources and the right community around you and yeah. support. About having support, and I mean, like, there's mm-hmm. been single mothers forever and ever. It's yeah, nothing new. Great point. Yeah, it's right. Nothing new. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just an, another option today that's more available that people are deciding to proactively do that. And men as well, and same-sex couples, and you know, there's lots of different types of families these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's now that's my new journey, motherhood, and it's like the most amazing journey yet. Mm, yeah. No, and I. You know, I've known you for so long and this sense of, I mean, you were already after the ceremonies feeling um, more peaceful and it was something, it was an energy that I could feel as your friend. But um, ever since you had Birdie, that that level of peacefulness, I think, has gone like even a couple more levels, which is super beautiful to witness as oh, yeah, you. a friend in your life. 
Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Massive shift. And yes. I think for me, the, the pregnancy and the birth were also like a very spiritual process. Mm-hmm. And having done all that preparation work before through psychedelics yeah. and healing and breath work and other things and meditation, I was able to like really enjoy it and like be in my body and be connecting with the baby. And mm. I we just, did a sound bath too. Yeah. We did yeah. the sound bath together. And like I just loved every part of it mm. like it was so incredible yeah it's amazing what our bodies can do mm-hmm. we can grow a baby and make life like it's just I'm still kind of blown away and processing and every day I look at Birdie and I'm like oh my god like <laughs> you're so amazing like she's more than I could have ever dreamed of like she is the love of my life mm. like wow and I just I'm filled with so much love yeah now and I'm so excited about like exploring our life together and yeah it's pretty amazing so I'm yeah. glad I did it I, it was scary yeah. like I you know I put it off for I think as long as I could mm-hmm. and that's one of the positives of COVID is that I had a chance to slow down stop traveling work from home like really evaluate what's important mm-hmm. what are, what's the most meaningful things in my life and I was like I want to have a baby and I didn't want to regret not making it happen so it's yeah. like now is the time right and it was interesting too because Monty your yeah. your late beloved dog also just passed so there was mm-hmm. so there was this incredible sense of you know one life leaving but another one coming in totally mm. yeah yeah I had my fur baby for you know 14 years since he was a little guy and yeah he passed yeah. away during COVID and I think it would have been a lot having a baby and a dog. So, you know, that's another alignment mm-hmm. where, yeah, he had passed on and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, next mm-hmm. phase. Yeah, life knew what uh, what to, to give you next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have a creative baby as well that's percolating. Birdie gets most of the love. Yes. <laughs> but She's baby number one. Yeah. But creative baby gets some love too. Yeah. I'm working on a new concept in the psychedelic industry. Um, it's still early days, and so I can't really talk about, you know, the full name and, and concept in a lot of detail, but it is something I'm really excited about. It's a passion project. Um, been working on it for about six, seven months now, and essentially it will be providing education, information, and access to psilocybin mm-hmm. for people that need it in their mm. life for whatever reason, whether it's medical, health and wellness, like personally, after ayahuasca, I started microdosing, Mm -hmm. um, psilocybin and like game changer, like just so phenomenal. Felt like I feel so great when I'm microdosing. I feel more stoked on life, like happier, more energy, um, more present, like more creative. Um, It's pretty phenomenal. And so I noticed the shift in myself and I've seen friends and family members um, have such phenomenal results from microdosing, you know, everything from being able to go off antidepressant medication to sleeping better, to quitting smoking, to improving fitness, like pretty life-changing events um, and results that, you know, this is still in the gray space, but hopefully we're on the road to legalization with everything that's happening in psychedelics now. Um, I see that happening very quickly. So, I, you know, again, I want to be in early. I'm really passionate about it. Um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. I can't wait to tell you more. Yes. 
Yes, in time, in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple of special events coming up, so that'll be fun. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, there'll yeah. be more soon on that front, which yes. is so exciting. This is a whole other new industry that's just going to blow up and yeah. change people's lives for it. the better. Can you feel it? It's like percolate, yeah. percolating so hard right now. Yeah, oh, really? it's, it's ready to explode, I, I feel like, very soon, too. I have just a couple of questions for you. Sure. Because I know you're a busy gal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my questions is... If you were in the same room with your little self and you're looking at her, what do you think she would say to you right now, seeing how far you've come? I think she would say, wow, you are a powerhouse. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she would too. I think she would too. You've done so much with your your life and yeah, I hope you you see it. Thank you. Well, I think, I mean, if I put it that way and I look at my younger self who was Mm. so shy and could hardly even talk in a room and like was scared of everything, like I really have grown a lot Mm -hmm. since then. And I think, you know, discovered my power and my strength. Yeah. Yeah. You were even taking Toastmasters. I I think that is so super duper brave because even when I think about that, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I hated public speaking and I still do. Yeah. And that's why I'm NPR, so I can be behind the scenes and help other people, you know, be in the limelight. But it was something that I would like, I had a few negative experiences where I just bombed and it was terrible. Yeah. And I was like, never again, never doing that again. Never setting myself up to be yeah. that embarrassed. Like I need, as a business owner, to be able to confidently speak. So like, do the work, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter how terrifying it is. Yeah, that training was great. Really mm-hmm. enjoyed that training, the public yeah. speaking training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so brave. <laughs> so brave. Um, second to last question. What would you like Birdie to know most about you? Um, that I wanted to have her so badly that I had dreamt about her and connected with her for years before she even was born. Um that I needed a little help to make it happen. Um, But she is like the most amazing, most important person in my life and my greatest accomplishment. And I love her more than anything. Mm, That's so beautiful. Mm, My final question that I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Um, well, I would love to leave behind, I mean, you always want to have some sort of a legacy and I hope that would encompass a lot of love and inspiration through the various things that I do. So, you know, with work and career, I hope that I've inspired my team that work with me to like give them either a start in their career or inspired them to go after what they want to go after in life. Um, I think through like the charity work that I do hope that I make a positive impact and like you know you don't realize if it's even one small thing that you do like giving back's always been really important to me and I've always been involved with charities over the years everything from like One Girl Can to Children's Wish Foundation like incredible organizations and right now I'm working with the Canadian Horse Defense Coalition to ban live horse transport and we did a big campaign last year um, with Jan Arden, an amazing group of women that are like aggressively 
like fighting to stop this. And, you know, if I can save one horse <laughs> from being shipped overseas to slaughter, then I've, I've made a difference to like a beautiful sentient being. So it's like, how can I make a positive impact and give back? Um, so I hope in that way. Um, and then, yeah, with Birdie, I want like all of the intergenerational trauma to stop with her and I want her to feel loved and supported and to be equipped to go out in the world and pursue whatever, you know, her dreams and goals are and just feel confident as a woman navigating the world that it is. Um, so those are the key things that I hope to leave behind. Oh, that is so beautiful. And yeah, they, they say with the cycle breaker, as they, they call it in the family, which is what you are, mm -hmm. that you heal seven generations back and seven forward. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, what you leave behind in the world is that much wider, actually. I love that. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, I just yeah. got tears, actually. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's hard work, right, to, to be that person, um, to do that. And mm -hmm. it can perhaps even ostracize you from your family or just whatever it is. It's It's... Uh, a lot of emotional labor so mm -hmm. yeah that resonates a lot because there's actually no grandkids in my family there's four siblings I'm the only right sibling that had a baby and mm. I think we were also traumatized we were scared um but I was like stops now no mm -hmm. more this is going to be positive it's going to be amazing it's going to be different and it really has brought the family together so that I feel that so much so thank yeah. you for sharing that yeah heal the lineage yes Oh my God, totally. Yeah. I have so much love and appreciation for you. You know that. I do. Yes. Same here. <laughs> You're amazing. Thank you so much yes. for having me. This yeah, was fun. This was really a great conversation. And uh, yeah, just love you so much. Love you too. Thanks, May. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes with Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening. 